Our five o'clock worship gathering that happens every week in the chapel, our five o'clock worship gathering, that's what happened last Friday, uh, I'm sorry, Sunday. Where am I on Friday? Did I say Friday or Sunday? Did I say Friday? If we want to start a worship gathering at five o'clock on Friday, I'm down. Y'all let me know, email me. Uh, Sunday night worship gathering at five o'clock in the chapel. And uh, uh, that happens every Sunday night at five o'clock. And uh, something is happening there. God is moving there. Last Sunday night, those six were baptized. And uh, it is exciting to see how God is moving with such great power. At, at our nine o'clock worship gathering, I had the privilege of baptizing a, another young sailor. Uh, his name's Joshua Morgan. He's turned 21 years old today. And, uh, and he was baptized at nine o'clock. Guys, something is happening. I just, I want you to know, you, come to our five o'clock worship gathering. If, 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 uh, just see what God is doing. It's amazing. And so we're excited about all of that. Uh, and excited about how God is moving in our church. It, it, great days, guys, great, great, great days. And uh, uh, I, am, I am so, I'm, I'm just, I am pumped up. And uh, not only that, but we got Vacation Bible School coming. Not long, guys. Look, if you don't know, if you have, if, now maybe you experienced Vacation Bible School at other places at other times, and you think, what's well, a big deal about it? Look, you need to come at least one day for Vacation Bible School. Uh, it is off the chain. Uh, next Sunday is Father's Day. We're, ex- we're celebrating communion together on Father's Day. Uh, but after uh, communion on Father's Day, after the morning worship gatherings, we're, we're going to transform this uh, uh, platform uh, with uh, Vacation Bible School decor. It is going to be awesome. And uh, we're excited about everything that God is going to do. I want to encourage you to begin uh, uh, praying with me as a church. We pray together at one o'clock for one minute for one th- uh, for this one thing. Uh, every day, I invite you to join me in praying for this one thing. And this is the prayer. Lord, will you begin drawing children and their families to yourself through Vacation Bible School. Every day at one o'clock, will you join us in praying this simple prayer, but this powerful prayer. Oh Lord, begin drawing children and families to yourself through Vacation Bible School. Let's see what God can do when his people commit to unify in prayer for a common purpose and a common goal. Let's see what God can do. God, begin drawing children and families to yourself through Vacation Bible School. Uh, great days, great days ahead, and I am so thankful that you've joined us here today. Turn in your copy of Scripture to Mark chapter 6. We're beginning a new series of messages, very, much, very similar to what we've been uh, looking at. Uh, if you remember, we began several weeks ago looking, through, uh, looking at how when we are connected to Jesus, we are blessed. We are soaked in satisfaction. We have a life Uh, that is soaked in satisfaction, consumed with contentment because we are connected to Jesus. And then we've looked at how Jesus uh, provides that blessing for us. He chases away uh, 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 our fears. He he, uh, defeats evil. Uh, He uh, uh, he gives uh, 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 
victory in the face of, of defeat and despair. Jesus is the Son of God, ruler of the world who brings good news. He is the Holy One of God uh, who, uh, takes, uh, who, who uh, chases away the darkness. Uh, he is the great physician who makes our lives whole. Uh, he is the uh, he is the, uh, the the Son of God who uh, chases away and defeats evil. Uh, this is Jesus, and so as we looked to Jesus as the source of blessing, um, we uh, began to see how that takes shape in our everyday life. When we are connected to Jesus, when we are connected to Jesus, not just know about Jesus, not just sing a song about Jesus, but when we repent our sin place our faith in Jesus and become a follower of Jesus, we are blessed. We are under the umbrella of God's blessing because we are aligned with him through faith in Jesus Christ. When we are connected to Jesus, we are blessed. Now, uh, as we move uh, with Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 6, there is a turn, uh, and that turn is toward mission. Uh, and although Jesus has been on mission from Mark chapter 1, verse 14, he's been on mission. Uh, now, beginning in Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus on mission really uh, being specific and intentional in ways uh, more intense than it was before. So in Mark chapter 6, uh, we're beginning this new series of messages that simply says that when we are connected to Jesus... We live on mission. When we are connected to Jesus, we serve God on mission in our world. And this is a calling for every person who is connected to Jesus by faith. Every person who is a follower of Christ is mandated by God, by Jesus Christ himself, to serve God on mission. Followers of Jesus, get this big picture point. Followers of Jesus serve God on mission to rescue sinners. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your calling. This is my calling. Followers of Jesus serve God on mission to rescue sinners. Let's read the passage together. Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus went out from there and came to his own country. He's talking about his hometown of Nazareth. And his disciples followed him. And when Sabbath had come, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. Now, uh, Mark does not give us here the content of the teaching that Jesus did. He doesn't give it in Mark chapter 6, verse 2. He gives it in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. In Mark 1, 14, if you remember, here's what Mark wrote. He said, after John the Baptist had been put in prison, Jesus came teaching and preaching. And this was the message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That was the message wherever Jesus went, certainly as he taught in the synagogue here in Nazareth, his hometown, as he taught in the synagogue, certainly it was more than that, but it wasn't less than that. Every message Jesus preached included 
The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent your sin and believe the good news. We'll dig into that in a second. So uh, he, was, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And Jesus was astonished at their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there until you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Verse 12, so they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and he healed them. Followers of Jesus serve God on mission to rescue sinners because Jesus served God on mission to rescue sinners. He entered his hometown of Nazareth, a little village that didn't even make the maps until after Jesus was resurrected and became um, a, a movement in the ancient Near East and even around the world. It is only then that Nazareth got a point on the map. Nazareth was a little village uh, among rocks uh, in the side of cliffs, and, and uh, it, it, it had a population of, of less than 500 uh, at maximum uh, when Jesus went and visited them. And Jesus went to Nazareth, and he was not met with anything except scorn and unbelief. Now, what doesn't come out in the English language very much, but certainly in the original language of the Greek, um, I hate it when preachers say stuff like that. It makes them feel like uh, it's just, you know, like we were go down the hallway and, and uh, in the chapel right now, our Hispanic worship is happening, uh, and they're speaking in Spanish. I don't know Spanish very well, but I can go in there and I can listen, uh, and I can pick some stuff up. But when Vernig says, now, pastor, you didn't understand what that word was. Let me help you understand it. I might have been able to say it out loud, but I didn't understand it. That's all I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to show off or anything. Sorry. Called too much attention to it. Let's move on. Um, when it says, what man is this? Verse 3. What man is this? In the, in, in, 
in the, in the Greek, it's like, who is this guy? It's not just what, what man is, it's who is this guy? Who does he think he is? How did this local boy get on such a high horse? Who does he think he is? We know this guy. We taught him in synagogue school. We saw him playing in the streets with friends, our children. Some people among the crowd said, I went to school with this guy. Who does he think he is? Where does he think he has wisdom? We taught him. What makes him think he's got more wisdom than we do? We've heard he does these mighty miraculous stuff, but we don't see it. We didn't see it when he was growing up. Who is this guy? They scoffed at him. They scorned him. Then it says they were offended at him. The term offended there is the Greek term scandalizo, from which we get scandal. Y'all are great. All right, so it's scandalized. Uh, Literally, if you were to translate it, literally it means that they uh, were scandalized by him. Now, scandalized in Mark's gospel is used to describe what happens when people, whatever it is, blocks people from believing on Jesus. So, um, uh, when, when Mark, uh, when Jesus says, uh, it would be better for you to have a millstone put around your neck than to be an offense to little children, we'll look at that. But when he said that, he was talking about what happens when we cause children to not believe in Jesus, when we are the stumbling block. So here, what we find is Jesus himself, growing up in Nazareth, caused uh, this stumbling block of unbelief in the hearts of the people in his hometown. They were offended at him. So much so that they didn't believe him. In fact, they rejected him. The picture here is Jesus comes, he preaches the message of the kingdom. uh, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent your sin. Believe on the good news that God sent Jesus as the Savior of the world who would die for sinners upon a cross and be raised from the dead so that when we repent and believe on Jesus, we are rescued and the emptiness of our soul is dissipated and disappears because we are now satisfied by God himself. We are drawn across the bridge that God has built through the sacrifice of Christ We are drawn into God's family, made fit for God's family so that now we can be called sons or daughters of the living God. This is the good news, and Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom. Repent and believe. And they say, no, we're not going to believe in you. We're not going to believe in you. And Jesus is astonished at their unbelief. Astonished there. Jesus knew everything and still he was astonished. He was amazed. How in the world can you not believe? Have you ever felt that way? In sharing the gospel with somebody, maybe somebody in your family or a friend or a close uh, close personal friend or a coworker or a classmate and you're telling them about Jesus, and they say, man, I just don't buy all that stuff. Oh, no, 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 no. 
I don't, I don't, who does that guy think he is Try to tell us how to live? No, no, I don't buy this Jesus stuff. You think, come on. How is it that you can't believe, that you refuse to believe? The reality is that in his hometown, Jesus was rejected. And he was perplexed, but he wasn't paralyzed because he came on mission to serve God and rescue sinners. And so he left Nazareth and he continued teaching, going from village to village, sharing the message of the gospel so that others might believe. Jesus came on a mission, and that mission was to rescue sinners. And that mission included what he would say in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He, he's going to say, uh, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and give his life as payment price for sin, as a ransom for many. And Jesus came on a mission to rescue sinners. It's what we hear him say when he's speaking to religious folk about uh, the new life that's been given to a tax collector named Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says about himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save, rescue the lost, those who are separated from God by sin. Just before Jesus is arrested on the night that he's betrayed and arrested, just before he's killed on a cross as the sacrifice for sinners like you and me, Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son might also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work you've given me to do. Jesus came on a mission to rescue sinners. And that was his mission. And here in this passage, we see that he gives that same mission to you and to me. We have been called by Jesus to himself to continue the mission that he began. And this is the point of Paul's letters, all of them. Continue the mission. Proclaim the good news. Now, many of us would say, well, these are just the 12 big dudes in Jesus' followers. It's their mission. And so you would say, well, it's just the preacher dude's mission. It's not my mission. But no, I, I think Scripture tells us very clearly that if you are connected to Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, it is your mission as much as it is my mission. You might say, where do I get that? Well, I, I get it from several different places. I'll give you a couple. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus has been crucified on a cross for sinners like you and me. He's been raised from the dead to give us new life and make us fit for God's family. He spent time with the disciples and now gathered on a hillside before he ascends to the right hand of the throne of God. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you 
will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem and Judea, all Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. The witness stuff, that's every person who has experienced the life-changing, soul-satisfying, sin-forgiving work of Christ in your life, you are his witness. And he has empowered you by the Holy Spirit to be his witness in your world. Another passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us that if you're uh, in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. And all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself, and he's given us the word of reconciliation. That is that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18, therefore, or 19, therefore we, you and I, are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were imploring, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is our mission. If we are a new creation in Christ, then we are an ambassador for Christ. That means that we have a calling from Christ to serve God on mission in our world for the rescue of sinners. So if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your job. And this is my job. What we see in verse 7 is that Jesus called his disciples to himself and he uh, gave them instruction. First, he, 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 he called them to himself to be with him. Then he gave them instruction, uh, gave them authority, his authority to preach the good news and to bring healing to those who are broken by sin and evil. He gave them instructions. Don't carry anything with you, just the coat on your back or the shirt on your back and a staff and your sandals. He said, if you're rejected, leave the place and go somewhere else. And then they went. And that simple instruction, that simple narrative, sets the stage for what turned the world upside down. Followers of Jesus, people who are connected to Jesus, serving God on mission in their world. I'm not going to belabor this, and honestly, I, I'm not going to try to uh, convince you. I'm just, I'm not. I'm not going to try to convince you. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're connected to Jesus, the Spirit of God resides within you, and it has been my prayer and continues to be my prayer that if you don't believe that the mission belongs to you as a follower of Jesus, my prayer has been that God would take these few words in Scripture and by His Spirit absolutely hammer us with conviction. That we would see that if I know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, then it's my job to help them find Jesus. God puts me in the path of someone today, and I don't know if they know Jesus. I've been praying, oh, Spirit of God, will you hammer me and hammer us that we would see it is my job to help that person find Jesus. As much as depends upon me to be a witness, to be an ambassador, to live on mission in our world. So what does this passage teach us? Just three things quickly. First, if we're going to serve God on mission in our world, to rescue sinners, the first thing that needs to happen 
every single day is we must spend time with Jesus. The definition, the, the, the defining priority of a disciple is one who spends time with Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus called his disciples so that they might be with him. Mark chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus enters his hometown of Nazareth and his disciples followed after him. And now in verse 7, Jesus calls his disciples to himself. Come around me and let's talk. I believe one of the reasons so many of us fail to serve God on mission in our world is because we fail to be diligent in spending time with Jesus. Not just hanging out, not just reading a bunch of words that somebody else wrote, but actually opening the Word of God, allowing the Spirit of God to make the Word of God come alive in our heart where Jesus shows us who He is, corrects us in our behavior, adjusts our thinking, adjusts our living, and equips and empowers us to, in, uh, to help those who are far from God find life in Christ. We spend time with Jesus. We spend time with Jesus so that we might know him, so we might be with him, so we might be encouraged by him and corrected by him and inspired by him, so that we might be taught by him. We spend time with Jesus opening his word and being transformed by his word. It's not enough to memorize a scripture. It it must be that scripture gets hold our heart and takes us to a place where we are more faithfully committed to the cause of God and uh, revealed in the mission of Jesus Christ where we literally live the mission. So friends, please understand if you're spending time with Jesus, you are going to be compelled to serve God on mission in your world. And if you are not compelled to serve God on mission in your world, then whatever you're doing and calling it spending time with Jesus, You're blocking it somehow. Today, friends, spending time with Jesus is not so that we can fill a notebook with new words and new information and new theologies or philosophies or doctrines. We spend time with Jesus so our life might reflect his. And if our life is going to reflect his, that means that we're going to do what he did. And if we're going to do what he did, it means that we're going to go to our hometown, to our houses, to our workplaces, to our schools, uh, in, our shipyard, in the shipyards and in the ships. We're going to go wherever we, uh, he sends us and we are going to live on mission. To live on mission means that we follow his instructions. Not only spend time with Jesus, but we must follow his instructions. Beginning in verse 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, he, he starts giving instructions, just simple instructions, not complicated. First of all, following his instructions means that we get on a team. Jesus sends them out two by two. Why did he do that? Well, it wasn't just so he could fulfill the two witness uh, uh, mandate of the Old Testament. It was so that Uh, Those who go on mission find support and accountability and encouragement and strength and correction from others on the team. Now, we don't always go two by two. I don't think that's what he's saying. saying, But he is saying we must go as a team. You know, the way we do that here at First Norfolk, what, what we 
are trying to do through our life groups is we are making disciples. That, that's our calling in, in our life groups is to make disciples. And we define discipleship as this. A disciple is a missionary follower of Jesus who loves God, loves others, and lives the mission. So it's in our life groups that we are doing all that we can to be a team to help each other serve God on mission in our world to rescue sinners. And if a life group is not committed to the mission, it's not a life group that God is honoring. I didn't get a lot of amens out of that. So I'm <laughs> say, pull up my britches a little bit, say that again. Your life group is not a club for you to get together and hang out and feel good about each other. Your life group is not a club for y'all just to share life together without a purpose other than feeling good about each other. Your life group is the missionary engine of this church. And he's put you on that team so that together you might ask each other, are you living on mission? Have you talked to anybody about Jesus? Have you shared uh, what Jesus has done in your life? If you haven't shared what Jesus has done in your life, why haven't you had? Can I help you? I'm going to pray for you this week that you would share what Jesus has done in your life. I'm going to pray that you would tell others to repent and believe on Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you. How can I call you and you call me? And let's hold each other accountable. Folks, this is what we need to do. This is sharing life together in a way that pleases God. It's not the only thing we do, but it's not less than what we do. Life groups are not simply get-togethers to have, I was going to say potluck, but we don't do potlucks much anymore. It's not just a get-together to feel good about each other. It's part of it. But the life groups at First Norfolk are supposed to be the missionary engine. It's our team. So if you're a life group leader, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you today. Make it your business to ask those on your team, are you living the mission? How are you living the mission? Can I help you live the mission? Let's see more of what we've seen over the last several weeks in our church. People coming to faith in Jesus Christ because you were living the mission, serving God on mission to rescue sinners. We follow his instructions. And then finally, when we spend time with Jesus and we follow his instructions, then we continue the mission that he began. We continue the mission that he began. It says that they left Jesus and they began preaching and healing. And, and I, I just have to be honest with you. Um, this is where we all want to end up. Every Bible study that we do, every message that I deliver, we want to end up here where every person who is connected to Jesus Christ leaves this gathered place goes to home or communities on mission, telling others who Jesus is and what he can do for them, how he can change their life. This past week, I saw this uh, press conference that literally lived out the message, and I wanted to share it with you. University of Oklahoma women's softball team won the national title for the seventh time, three times in a row. And there was a press conference with some of the teammates there, and they were asked a question 
from an ESPN reporter. How can you maintain joy in such a long season? I want you to hear the response. Simple question, but listen to how each one of these players responded. Let's watch this. Alex Scarborough with ESPN. For, for the players, I know you talk about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that can very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only, the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I, I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world, if we do lose, yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home. And I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And, yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home. And um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So. Young 20-something women sitting on a national platform doing a press conference that's televised on ESPN. They didn't talk about softball. They talked about Jesus. Every day, God gives you and me a platform. 
somewhere, somehow, some way. Whether it's riding in an elevator or picking up a coffee or sitting next to someone at work. Every day, God gives you and me a platform. My prayer is that we would be as faithful, courageous as these ladies. When we are connected to Jesus, we serve God on mission in our world. I invite you to join me. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, as we are drawn to your word as followers of Christ, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, do the work that needs to be done in me and in us so that we would be found faithful in our calling. That every morning and throughout the day, you would draw us close to yourself. You would instruct us so that we might continue the mission that you began. Convict us, O oh God, for trying to Abandon the duty that comes along with the blessing of being connected to you. And now I pray that you would raise us up as a battalion of ambassadors, shining the light of your love and grace, telling the good news of your rescuing love, and calling people to repent their sin and believe on Jesus. And begin today. 